welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to episode 126. I'm Sheldon Grant from Panoramic Outdoors, and today's episode is brought to us by Jiffy. If you're looking to get into a new ice auger this ice fishing season, go check out Jiffy Ice Augers. We've been running ours for about a year now. We can't say anything bad about it. Everything's been looking up. We love using them. So check them out, jiffyonice.com. Chase dry like you're on the other end. You're looking fresh. You're kind of looking a little muscular. Not going to lie. What's going on? <laughs> What's gun going show, on over there? Gun show, hitting the gym, hitting the gym. Actually, hitting the physio too this week. Apparently, my chest is too <laughs> huge. And I'm having some rotator cuff issues. <laughs> but besides that, you know, just uh, just trying to enjoy a little bit of summer. Got out fishing today in the swell fish. Put some, yeah. put some hours in on that baby. I went down to the Red River and tried some fly fishing and... Uh, was unsuccessful which was nice. a bit of a surprise because normally it's pretty good pretty good fish See, in there yeah but the thing is i say nice because i'm pretty jealous that you got to get out i've been been doing a lot of work in northern manitoba right now so when you facetime me today i was in the middle of you know doing my thing at work and you're freaking cruising down the river freaking your aviators on head on backwards <laughs> i didn't know if this was a trailer for top gun or if this was fucking <laughs> chase dry like in the swell fish <laughs> so, oh man that's what we should name nick no nah, nickname the boat top gun <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we should maybe but that thing looks pretty wicked like it uh that motor looks like it pushes it pretty good looks like you had quite a bit of room in it yeah so this was like the motor's still getting broken in so this was the first day that I took it up to like half throttle and I was amazed on like how fast that thing came out of the water. Mind you, it was just myself in there, but, uh, hopped right up on plane and was just cruising pretty good, man. It was, it was awesome. Um, I fly, was fly fishing out of it for two and a half hours and, uh, I took the middle seat out. So I had more room, woo, ah, more room to walk around in it. And, uh, and it was awesome. I went all over the place with it, got into some tight little spots with it. Wasn't afraid to tackle the, the bigger water, the fast moving water right up by the, by the dam. And, uh, yeah, it was just cruising, man. It was, it was a fun day. It was a great morning to be out. Um, got out super early at like five 30 and, uh, slow day on the water though. Yeah. I had one bite all day and I was talking to some of the shore fishermen and they weren't catching anything. So. Slow day all around. Feel a little bit better, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the main question. I mean, we talked about swellfish uh, in the last few episodes. We've got one of their boats. We got one of their motors. Not one of their motors, but we got a motor for it. My question is, I haven't been able to use it yet. But my question is to you: Is how concerned are you of puncturing uh, one of the sidewalls on this boat? Because like anyone that's listening that doesn't know, swellfish is like an inflatable boat with an aluminum bottom. It's like if you know what a Zodiac is or like you see those boats in, on movies where they're rescuing surfers 
in the ocean. Like those are the types of boats. It's like air around everything, aluminum floor kind of idea, and a motor on the back. But how concerned are you of like puncturing one of those air chambers? Um, there's definitely concern there, but I mean, I think they're the built the the boats built pretty robustly, and <sighs> they have like a, a chamber system inside those floats, right? So it's Right. It's not like if you puncture or get a leak in them, it's not like the entire boat's <laughs> gonna sink. It's like it's not like it's not like a cartoon you're gonna go fucking shooting across the lock of Bonnie. <laughs> yeah, in it. like a like a freaking <laughs> balloon. Yeah. Yeah. No, and then I think like it comes with a patch kit or repair kit too, so if you need to repair it, you're good to go. But right. I think man, the boat's built pretty robustly. It's got uh the the rod holders on it, like the Oh, what are those things called? What kind of rod holders are they? I can't even remember. This is Scotty. Scotty rod Scotty. holders. Scotty cup holders. And it's pretty sweet, man. I like hey, it. Hey, man, the next thing that we're going to do with that boat, or not the next thing, but the email I'm sending next is to get that. There's a duck blind you can get for it. What? If, yeah, so if you go to Swellfish, uh, or if you look up Swellfish on the internet, you can go and check out their accessories. There's, or maybe it's not on there yet. Maybe I was talking to the, one of the owners there. Um when we're when we're getting it and yeah there's a duck blind it might be on the website if not it's coming out eventually and it's like yeah it's apparently gonna be like a foldable camo thing like it's gonna be pretty freaking cool if we can get yeah. that out on because they have the bimimi tops for them right right so that would probably but, clip right in there that'd be sweet well no i i don't know what it'd be looking like but i'm thinking it's like you'd take out that seat and you'd be like crouch low and have like a duck blind on top of it because mm-hmm. you'd want it to sit pretty low, I would assume. Yeah. Well, some of the, I mean, some of the duck blinds, you know, that they have on the John boats that are like the the frame ones are they're pretty high. Yeah, that's true. So. Have you ever seen those videos on like TikTok and shit, where those guys have like dugouts or whatever they are, and like there's recliners in the one end, and then there's like they got like a big grill going, Dude. where they're like making bacon and eggs, and then you crawl up into like the actual hunting area even some of those duck boats are like that some of those i know it's unbelievable boats. yeah it's crazy and it is crazy because today's episode we were talking with dan matthews from nomadic outdoors um he's got a podcast so we're gonna get to that right away quickly but it's kind of cool because we got to kind of talk to him about different hunting um or you know different ways we let's say different ways we hunt and different ways we like interact after the hunt too and talking about different podcasts, etc. So, just speaking about these duck hunting blinds, it's like I think it's a lot of Americans that do that, right? Like yeah. I, I don't know, I don't know anyone in Manitoba that has like this extravagant blind where you have ten or ten people in it eating breakfast mm-hmm. and duck hunting. I think it's those, those hardcore people down south that are out there all day. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I uh, and speaking about Dan Matthews, what an awesome conversation we had with him, man. I hope we can. Uh, actually link up with him in person because i feel like it'd be just like catching up with an old buddy you know what i mean and yeah BSing, and i think it'd be a great time so um we had a we had an awesome conversation with him and uh yeah just talking hunting talking outdoor stuff talking a little podcast stuff mm-hmm. so yeah before we get into that part of it though chase there's a couple questions i want to ask you um, cause I think you're like the smart guy when it comes to good thing. Tristan's not here. Tristan's actually the smart guy. <laughs> yeah. So since Tristan's not here, you, you're the next I'm number two. 
Yeah, I'm a far third. Um, but I was reading um, that one of the lakes in Manitoba here called Clear Lake is they found some bass in it. So I guess my question is, just so to keep it very generic for anybody that's listening, maybe not from Manitoba, but from anywhere else, what is it an invasive species like a bass getting into a lake or a waterway system? What does that do? And if it does do anything, like what's the what's the biggest downfall? I mean, like the biggest, the good, the only good thing I could think of it is like bass fishing is fun, and maybe that's another lake you can go bass fishing now. But like, does it do anything to the ecosystem that you know of? Um. Well, bass are. I don't know how they would be. Um, I actually got the book in front of me. I could look, but I don't know what they rank on the predatory scale. But they're they're pretty pretty aggressive. They eat a lot of. A lot of like bait fish and stuff like that right so um it could have effects on some of the other fish populations like if they if they start eating those the fry and and the smaller fingerlings and stuff like that which is bass are generally known to be pretty gluttonous right they eat pretty much anything you throw at them so they'd be probably eating a lot of the fry and could affect some of the fish populations further down the road um if their population gets high enough um, but I know the lake that you're talking about and I know like it's part of a national park. So it's, it's, they are, I think they generally try to maintain control of a lot of the stuff in the park, um, fish and wildlife wise. Right. Right. They and, try to keep like native species to that park. Yeah. And just, and just kind of maintain some sort of a balance and, and if like if ba- if smallmouth bass wasn't something that they put in there, then they they don't want it in there. And I know like even some of like the the tree plantations that were planted like a hundred years ago, they're cutting down now because they want to bring it back yeah, to the I natural natural uh, way, right? So um, the bass, I guess, could have a a long term effect on the on the fish populations that are currently there. But um, yeah, I don't know. Depends on the situation, really. And they they kind of yeah. have and flow too, because I know. Like Shoe Lake has a lot of bass in it and um, had a lot of walleye at one time too. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then now I know what, both those populations are kind of like not spectacular anymore. And whether or not right. that's the bass is po- uh, from the issue that the bass caused or if it's just like an overall ecosystem issue, I, I'm not too sure. Yeah. And it's very interesting. And like I've never. Um really cared i guess as much as i do now especially after listening to that podcast that we did a couple days ago with uh was that angler's Ed- or not angler's edge um oh man angler's atlas yeah angler's atlas there and like after doing that podcast and like thinking about like how you know some of the fish species and like um some of their habitat and stuff really kind of almost gets overlooked because like fish are there seems like there's so many of them in certain areas right mm-hmm so like so after reading this article and and you know you, it, obviously I seen it on Facebook and then read all the freaking comments and I'm just like oh my god yeah but like you know some of your local people are gonna be like oh bass have been in there for I guess like one of the bass they found in there I think was like six years old so clearly they've been there for a while but people are like oh yeah it'll never affect anything they've been there forever but in reality you don't know you know like you need some professionals to come in and even if you don't like their answer I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things. It seems like every season we deal with something. Like in the fall, there we dealt with uh, that mule deer that came up with uh, CWD. CWD, and then you know. yeah. So they're yeah they're they're taking steps now in that realm to open up the mule deer season in Manitoba. 
Um, like I this think, fall? Yeah. I think there's still some, they're still working out some details on it, but, but, uh, that might be something that you can buy a tag for this fall and go meal deer hunting. Yeah. Like, in the, even if they had it, like some sort of, see, this is the thing was when we were talking with Dan Matthews there from nomadic and like he was talking about his deer hunting, how they had to like go and register any type of deer that was killed. And it's just like, well, you know, that funding there at the, at one time must've been just like huge. They must've had so much money so much like programs that implemented good hunting strategy and, and focused on herds and stuff. And then we have this problem in Manitoba and we can't even figure out how to, how to do it. And in my mind, it's like, we should have these, these stations set up in the, you know, prominent mule deer areas mm-hmm. where, and have it open and just be like, all you gotta do is bring your mule deer here and register it and you can keep it. You know? Yeah. But like, if you shoot a mule, and if you don't, if you shoot a mule deer and don't register it with the province, fucking put five years of jail time, or like, be extreme. Yeah, where people will want to do it. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of people calling for more extreme punishments on a lot of the, a lot of the wildlife crimes. Excuse me. I'd like to see what, uh, you know, the, the how those stations are spread out in Wisconsin that Dan was talking about too, because. We do have some stations up in Manitoba, and obviously the Wisconsin has a way greater population than we do up here because they're what, what do you say? Opening day hunting, six hundred thousand hunters go out. They said eight hundred, but yeah, six or eight hundred. Yeah, Jesus, that's insane. That's that's more total numbers than we get in six years, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and their territory is probably a lot smaller. Like yeah. Manitoba is huge, I think, compared to them. But. Yeah, so that's part of our issue too, right? We have this Absolutely. vast area and low population, and then how many, you know, how many check stations can we afford to have? Because that's what it comes down to. I think is more of a money thing and training and like. But like, and and yeah, absolutely. But like, and then he mentioned like a lot of it has gone electronic, and like in my mind, it's just like how come, like how come I've never heard of this, like electronic registering your deer and i'm in like the outdoor community quite a bit mm-hmm. and like talk to a lot of people but there right there is a way we could implement something is like for instance uh mule deer hunting is going to be open anyone can shoot a mule deer but you got to register it. and if you get caught with an unregistered mule deer you're going to get lose your license for five or whatever right mm-hmm. some extreme punishment well and if it's as easy as i mean everyone has a smartphone and if not then make a phone call you know, or something. There's got to be a way that we can keep track of these deer and manage our herds. I don't know. That's just the way I think. Yeah. The The funny thing about it too, the whole ordeal is like, and it might be the culture of some some of the areas in Manitoba where there's there's a lot of people that just don't want to do it. And they're like, ah, screw it, you know? And and like, I, I don't know oh, what the 100%. reasoning is behind that. If, if people are just don't want to because they're lazy or if they don't want to because they have a something against the government or whatever it may be right but um in my mind i'm like you know, well if we want to get control of or have an idea of what's actually going on out there you know it's a good idea to be participating yeah. in this stuff yeah so well it's like anyone else and, and you're 100 right there's a lot of people out there that are like oh, i've our family's been here for 300 years we're you know these are our moose or deer or elk and then you know and or like we've been we've been farming here for 250 years. We've always shot deer and yeah, never had a problem. And it's like, okay, but like, which things are changing and evolving. Yeah, you know, 150 years ago there was way less agricultural fields. 
you've seen way last year probably you know because yeah. they're all in the bush and in different areas like things are changing and then uh we either got to embrace the change and move forward together or we might as well just kiss some of the stuff goodbye like the moose and stuff yeah i mean if we don't get together and do something it's gonna be uh it's gonna be crazy yeah kind of scary times on some of that stuff how's uh how's the north been treating you i'm good i guess i haven't been out fishing too much like um i got out to like our uh the moose camp there did a bit of fishing um it was it was super good to get out there and i always say it it's it's really refreshing um you forget about time you get out there for two or three days just you know get up have breakfast go fishing just do whatever you want and that that's exactly what i needed it was a good little uh um i don't know it was a good little break good little refresh mm-hmm. um but yeah since then i haven't really been fishing my dad and his brother came up to paint lake and fished uh paint lake mid lake Oswagon, a couple other lakes there uh for a week so i went out one night with them we had a barbecue went out fishing with them one night that was fun but other than that the north has been good the weather's good bugs are bad yeah same bugs, old same old. bugs are wild <laughs> oh i got something exciting to tell you about so um i went on a little work endeavor the other day and i brought my fly rod with me and uh ended up tossing the fly for about five minutes at this uh <clears throat> this this bridge and uh what we were doing was we were actually looking for carp I was, and we didn't, weren't finding any carp that were like surfacing or whatever. So I was like, oh, I'll just toss a fly rod for five minutes and see, maybe I'll catch one. See. Yeah. So I do like three casts and I get a bite. Something's on, gets off, do another two casts, boom, something's on again. I was like, holy smokes. Okay. So I reel it in and there's a big mouth buffalo. And I was, nice. I was like, so I don't think I've, maybe I have said on the podcast earlier, but but I, I've wanted, I wanted, it was like on my radar this year to catch one because I've never caught one before. I'm like, all right, so I want to catch a big mouth buffalo, set that goal for the year, and just like randomly caught one at a place that I did not expect to catch one up in the Delta Marsh, which was awesome. And then do two more, two more casts, and then boom, another bite, pull in like a master angler drum. I was like, all right, not a big deal. All right, this, like, my day's done. I'm good. I was like, this is awesome. Pretty good, pretty good start to the day. But uh, anyways, we ended up doing a bunch of work up cruising around and checking out some WMAs and stuff up there. And and uh actually have to use the uh the old iHunter app to nice. find some some like WMA boundaries up there and uh just to like verify where we're at and some of the regulations in the WMA and and stuff like that. So it was uh it was pretty cool how like I don't know, even even beyond my personal life the the iHunter app is still coming into play. Yeah. And you guys have heard us talk about the iHunter app quite a bit on this podcast. Obviously they're a huge supporter of us and uh we're a huge supporter of them. They're one of the the best tools that we we take with us every day in our pocket. If uh if you guys are interested in getting or checking out the iHunter app, they have their app platform that you can get on your phone or you can check them out on the web too. Head over to web.ihunterapp.com. And if you're interested in picking up the public land subscription, make sure you type in the code panoramic30 for 30% off. Nice. Um, I got a couple more stories to tell you, but I think I'm going to wait to tell you them in the outro. Because um, okay. I really want to launch this this episode, unless you have anything else to talk about. No, let's, let's launch the Dan Matthews Nomadic Outdoorsman. 
Before we do that, though, I want to just say, go check out our website, www.panoramicoutdoors.com. We got a bunch of merch on there for sale. We got catch and cook uh, coatings and spices for sale. We've got uh, cutting boards. We've got coffee cups. So if you're looking to update your your grub box for your camping trip or your hunting trip this fall, or even fishing, we got some of that stuff. And then of course sweaters, hats, and everything else to put on your on your magnificent body to make yourself look even better. Check out Panoramic Outdoors um, on the old interweb. But yeah, let's launch this. Let's go. Who the heck is this guy on Dan's pod- podcast, Nomadic Outdoorsman? And everyone listening from our podcast probably like, oh, it's just Shelly. He's finally back from his hiatus for the last three months. But this is a different podcast episode. It's actually, I think it's going to be pretty sweet. We got Dan Matthews from Nomadic Outdoorsman uh, on one end and Chase on the other. Hey, guys, can you enter- just say hello? Let's make sure we're all working good here. Hey, how's it going? Yo. Right on. So yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's kind of a different uh, format on how we're doing a podcast. He's going to record his end, we're going to record our end, and we're going to launch it on our own platform. So hopefully some of you guys that are listening uh, from the ma- nomadic side of things can come check us out. Anybody that's listening to us can go and check out ma- um, Dan's podcast, and ma- Nomadic Outdoorsman. I'm already fumbling my words, so I'm going to start off with the five burning questions to ask Dan. He's probably smiling right now. I can see him. He is smiling. But my first question for you, Dan, is that if you had one last meal, what would you have and what would you pair it with with a drink? Oh, man, that's good. Uh, I'm going to go chicken and waffles. Oh, chicken and waffles, chicken and waffles with maybe a little bit of spicy batter on the chicken (laughs) with some like bourbon maple syrup. And then as far as the drink, man, maybe just a good glass of whiskey. Nice. nice. I never understood chicken and waffles. I don't think it's like really a dish up here in Manitoba. Unless Chase, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But chicken and waffles reminds me of like poutine up in Canada. Like it's just like something we I don't normally eat. But I think if I went down south, I'd definitely have to try because everyone talks about it. It's definitely. Hey, I I hadn't tried it until I was like 28 years old. I'd never oh, yeah? had it, and I nice. tried it for the first time. And now we make it every single year on Christmas Eve. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I think it's definitely uh, more popular in the South, but uh, there are a few restaurants in Winnipeg that that have it on the menu. So we'll have to take you out one day, Shelly, and, and uh, yeah. get your wings on her. Yeah, well, you have to get your, your wallet out, which would be really <laughs> weird. <laughs> I know. Yeah, usually I leave that one at home. So do you guys answer these questions also? I feel like you should since it's kind of a split podcast. This, there you go. Dan Matthews with the curveball to the podcast. Here we go. I like it already. I like how this is going already. Sheldon, you want to go? You better, or? Start. you better start. Me? Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about this one a little bit a couple days ago. And, and, uh, and like, my uh, my options kind of change once in a while. And I, I'm like, I really enjoy food a lot. And there's a, there's a lot of foods that that could be on this list. You know what I mean? Can I stop you for one second? Yeah. I just want to give Dan a heads up that when you do ask Chase <laughs> questions, it becomes like a fishing story. So this will take him probably yeah. 8 to 11 minutes. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I hope I don't bore you to death. But, uh, man, I uh, I guess like a, a solid go-to is always always a good steak and like some piece of seafood with that. 
and then either wash it down with some either nice red wine or a beer, some cold beer would be good. Shelly? What what kind of beer would you like? A heavy beer or like a couple Bud Lights so you can just drink quick? I don't like. I'm not a big Bud Light fan, but probably probably like. A, well, you know what I mean, like a light beer or like a craft beer. No, probably like a, a Keith's or a Lab Bats Blue oh, yeah. or something. Right, one of them. Man, yeah, when my- you said when you said seafood and steak and a fine red wine, I was like, wow, this guy is classy. Like, <laughs> I'm over here saying chicken and waffles and bourbon, dude. And- yeah, you you won up to me for sure. Let's well let's let's do a, a steak and seafood and chicken waffles and bourbon and red wine night one night. All together. <laughs> yeah. We'll do another. We'll do a live podcast and they'll just watch us eat. Yeah. 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 There you go. YouTube <laughs> video for sure. My I've actually answered this question quite a few times because I always ask it around the campfire when I'm hanging out with family and friends just to keep the conversation going. But mine's uh, yeah medium rare steak or rare steak. Um, beef steak caesar salad um pierogies with bacon and onions and then i have an angel food cake for dessert i'm fat too so i could, <laughs> this is gonna go for a little bit uh angel food cake with, for dessert with like fresh um fruit and then for a drink i always this is always a toss-up i really like like a cold glass of milk but if it wasn't that it'd probably be like an ice cold beer out of like a frosty mug and like a pint like a big one yeah. schooner yeah well, yeah not a pint schooner <laughs> yeah hey i'm gonna throw in cheesecake because i didn't even think about dessert in that i just thought about like the main course but yeah, yeah. i love well, cheesecake salted caramel cheesecake nice oh that's a good one it's really a no holds bar when it comes to that question really yeah i guess i mean you did say you've answered this so you had like 15 different items <laughs> that you had ready to roll <laughs> yeah that's true that's true not trying to one-up anyone but i'm pretty sure my meal rocks <laughs> yeah you got question number two ready to go there oh, no, i thought you were going sorry i'm very no not no i can this. i can do one i can do one for sure um dan i'm not too sure how big of a music man you are but if you had uh one last concert to go to you could see anyone alive or dead who would you go see Ooh, that's good alive or dead i don't know i feel like the beatles would be pretty sweet mm-hmm. to see i mean it's just like classic Mm-hmm. And I feel like any Beatles song could come on, and I probably know the words to it, even though I've never had a record or an album or anything. It's just such an iconic thing. It's like it's like watching a great football team or basketball team or hockey team play. Like watching one of the greats. I feel like I feel like the Beatles would be pretty sweet to watch. That's true, man. I never even thought about that before. About like how you probably know the song, the the lyrics to most of their songs, and. I've never, same thing, never owned a record, never downloaded a song, I don't think, by the Beatles, but so popular. Yeah. What about you guys? Shelly, you take the lead on this one. Yeah, it's the live or dead thing is like the tough one for me because there's a lot of very talented artists right now in our day and age where we're like, it's almost to the point where it's like you open your eyes to a lot of different genres of music for me anyways. But, like, if I was going to go back in time and go and watch somebody, I would love to go to, like, the era where it was, like, Johnny Cash and Elvis and, like, all these guys that are going to these little auditoriums and all the, you know, men and women are putting on their nice clothes for the weekend, you know, because it was a huge outing for them to go to these these little concerts, right? And yeah. you listen to some of these old stories about, like, um, 
oh man whose podcast was i listening to i think it was uh the bone collectors podcast they had some guy on there that was talking about these old his old days in the music industry and he said they used to jump in like johnny cash's lincoln like a whole bunch of them strap all their equipment on the roof in like this box and they would like just go to like these little bars and play just to like practice kind of thing right and like those that would be super cool go to like these old bars and listen to these old guys just give her you know and smoking cigarettes and drinking and partying i think the atmosphere would be just amazing that would so be long, pretty sweet long story short i think like i'd go to that era and just like try to watch whoever you know as soon like before you said johnny cash i was our I almost raised my hand, but I thought it might be kind of weird. <laughs> and I was going to switch my answer to Johnny Cash. And I just want to be like in the back corner of a prison when he goes to one of those prisons and lights the place up. Yeah. I feel like that would be amazing. That would be sweet. That'd be epic, man. Very epic. I think I'd, I'd, I'd love to be in that era as well. Um, one guy that who was kind of in that whole scene... I do believe was uh Towns Van Zant and he's just like a crazy guitar player. I don't know if you've heard any of his music before, but I think it's actually his son that does a lot of the meat eater stuff down in Florida there. Uh he's a Van Zant. Can't remember his first name right now off the top of my head. Did he head. do like did he do like Das Boat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a fly fishing guy for red fishers, oh, yeah. I think. Something like that. Anyways, um, he was kind of one of those guys that just seemed like he couldn't get his stuff together enough to, to make it to the, the big time, had some substance abuse issues like most of those other guys did have, but, um, but just an insane guitar player and some really cool tunes. So same kind of answer you guys had, go back to that era and find some of those dudes and find a smoky bar and <laughs> some cold beer. Yeah. That'd be sweet. That'd be wicked. Okay, question number three. Or no, you, do you have a question there, Dan? Just out of the like, top of your head? I'll, I'll think of number five. Sure. Um, so question number three for me would be if you did win 100 grand or whatever, unlimited set of money, what's the one thing that you'd do first? And it's like you can't invest. You can't buy a house. You can't invest in like your kid's college. It's just like for you. You have to go do something for you. So I've always had this thing in the back of my mind and I don't know why but to see a homeless person uh with a cup that says like can you spare any change or something like that and then have like a hundred thousand dollars all in change just <laughs> in the bed of a dump truck and just be like yeah man hold up and like back it up and just hear the beep 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 and then just dump it nice. and be like there you have it I don't know why I'm like I feel like that'd make a funny video I feel like that should be on Family guy like, or something. Yeah, something like <laughs> Mr. Beast would do. And yeah. Damn it, Dan, you just now I can't even answer the question because now I'm gonna sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can, that's you can, good. You guys have had your answers to all these questions. So now now you're thrown off. I like it. You can self indulge a little bit, Shelly. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna sound so bad. I'd buy myself a brand I'm not kidding, I'd phone buy myself a brand new uh, Dodge. Dodge, sound like a big redneck here. Dodge TRX, like one of those new, I don't know, they're like souped up trucks with like shock packages and everything, just to drive it down the highway because I probably wouldn't be able to take it off roading. But that's what yeah. I do. Buy myself a brand new, like $150,000 truck. Nice. Hey, that'll work. I, uh, you know, it's funny. I actually, um, 
Damn. And Chase, don't lie and say like you're gonna you would give it like to some food bank or something. <laughs> no, actually, I was just gonna say I was listening to one Dan's podcast and he was chatting about the uh, um, like the camper vans and and uh, the tiny homes and stuff like that. And I would almost like to have like a, a hunting rig like that where you could just I I've had this dream of like getting like a old Chevy van that's four by four and you know put some 35 inch dirt tracks on there and oh, yeah. put a bed in the back of that sucker and and go hunting into the backcountry somewhere I think that'd be pretty cool so maybe like a, a van project or like a some sort of camper project but do something nice right yeah. not, not like something yeah. that I can afford right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> I really like those guys or not all guys but those people that are doing the like van life or there's like other people that are like redoing their enclosed trailers or like buses and stuff like some of that stuff is super cool the way they set them up it's just like a, a mini home you know yeah and they're like traveling across across the country that'd be cool man that's that's pretty cool that's a good answer chase I like that we've got a lot of friends in that industry and we're about to join it in august but i've always wanted to like i've, I've renovated a bunch of different vehicles but I have yet to do an ambulance and I feel like Ooh. an ambulance would be such a sweet hunting rig. Oh, totally. Like a, like a, with like the big square body on the back. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd be mean, lots of room for I'd have like, yeah. I'd have like the roll off awning probably on two sides at least. Um, tons of storage <laughs> cut out, cut out some of the shelving and, you know, turn the external lock boxes into gun storage and a pull out oh, yeah. grill. And I mean, an external shower, literally everything you could need and they can the chassis are so so tough like they'll carry any amount of weight you put in it mm -hmm. so you keep yeah, the, the rig. keep the gurney in there too and then you can take it out if it's a nice day and relax outside yeah there you go. <laughs> or too many whiskeys by the fire you can get rolled in <laughs> yeah strap them in yeah, we're going the IV ready to go just like strung out right to your yeah. lawn chair <laughs> oh, that's funny Chase, I think you're up for question number four. I'm up for question number four? Oh, man. Um, I didn't think of question number four, but let me think what I could uh, drum up off the top of my head here. Here, I got you. I'll do question four. You think of one for question five. Deal. If you could have any superpower for hunting, what would it be? Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. Who's answering this? I'll go first since Chase is still thinking. Go for it. I'd go with, I'd go with sight. Just because I think I've I've blown so many deer hunts by like trying to get my can you do like sight and range? I think you can do sight and range, right? <laughs> Is that all part of sight? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Range finder sight. I've blown, I've, I've blown a few hunts by like going to grab my my glass, like my binoculars or whatever, looking at a deer like three hundred yards on the field, and then not realize there's one like out of my peripherals until I like go to grab my glass, right, and then I move and I notice it. So I think I'd go with sight and sight and range because it's a two-in-one built-in uh, superpower. Nice. That's a good one. I don't even know where to go with this one because I'm like, in, in part of my mind, I'm thinking if I could just fly somewhere and be like, oh, I want to go over here to hunt. You know, you could just cut so much out of the hunting day if you could travel to where you want to be. But, um, geez, superpower. Superpower to get up in the morning. Yeah, that could be your superpower <laughs> just to not run out of gas <laughs> when I'm walking through two feet of snow. That'd be sweet. 
Um, jeez. That's when you need one of those little memes that pop up. It's like two hours later. <laughs> I know. SpongeBob. And I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, super, super endurance and super strength would be sweet. But then I, like, in the back of my mind, I got like visions of like Cam Haynes, uh, little bot Carrying dudes from Instagram being like, <laughs> you pussy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. Oh, geez. I guess. Oh, you know what I would love? Is like not even super, but just like normal hearing because my hearing's all, it's not very good. <laughs> so <laughs> you just want to be back to average. Back you to average like, or super hearing. super hearing. Super hearing would be sweet and like get rid of the tinnitus and I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Man, I would do, I would do teleportation. Ooh. For a lot of different reasons. You know, if I see an animal going a certain direction, boom, I can get in front of it quickly. If the wind shifts, I can, you know, move to a new location. But then also imagine the business you could have out of teleporting people's like elk, elk shoulders or, uh, I mean, just the, just the meat bags out. You can teleport people in and out of places. I, I could go up to Alaska and hunt for super cheap. Yeah. I wouldn't have to pay for flights, you know? <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I'm just thinking even even like some of the hunting spots we go to, like elk hunting, it takes us probably three hours to get there to the spot we hunt from our doorstep. So it's like if I'm going for a weekend hunt, normally probably take Friday off, you know, strike out Friday morning at like 3 a.m. to make it to the elk hunting spot by sunup. Be nice to teleport out there. Yeah. Cut that time yeah. off. This uh, teleport <laughs> thing too, though, Dan, I think there would have to be some sort of rule. Like you could only teleport so many times in a day when you're in a pursuit of an animal. Cause I could just like see myself being like, Oh yeah, he went to the West and then you teleport to the West hundred yards. Like, Oh shit. He went to the North. And then you're like, <laughs> boom, boom, boom all around the field. You know, Dude, I don't if think I that... could teleport once a day, I'd probably be pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. Four, yeah. Three or four times a day, I think would be the rule. Yeah, oh, I like this. You you went straight from sight and range. You added one, and right. now you're limiting mine. <laughs> All right, I see how you work, man. I I get it. Hey, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Well, man, that's awesome. I'm I'm excited that we're all doing this. This is fun. I yeah. like the five questions. That's pretty good. All right, yeah. I got I got number five here, and it's uh it's a good one, and it's. It might be a little bit off off the uh, off the trail here, but uh, what's one fear that you want to conquer? I'll let you think about this one, Dan, because I already know what mine is. It's mice, man. I'm like scared. I don't know why. I'm just like my dad makes fun of me some days. He's like, "Man, a, a black bear could walk into your tent and you wouldn't even jump out of bed." But he's like, "A little mouse runs across the floor and you're freaking out." And I'm just like, "Man, those things are so gross." But like mice and rats, if I could like figure figure out why I'm scared of them, I think I'd be okay. Like I'd see one like run across the grass, let's say, or whatever. But like I have this like fear of waking up at moose camp in my sleeping bag and one like sitting on my face or something. <laughs> and it just like that is my fear. I guess that's more of a phobia. That'd be gross. But whatever. That's my answer. I I mean, I had a really extreme fear of snakes for a while. And I was in college, and I said, I'm getting over this. And so I went and bought a python at a pet store. <laughs> Come on. And for a month, my buddy Drew, literally, I would hold my hand out, and he would just set it in my hand. 
and I'd be freaking out. And then eventually it got to the point where I would let that thing crawl up my arm, like chill on my shoulder. Everybody from college would come over and watch me feed it. Dude, that's hardcore. And I was like, sweet, man, I got over it. Well, all I did was get over my fear of that snake. Like, I still hate snakes. So (laughs) if I could, like, fully be over my fear of snakes, that would be it. See, I feel like you guys are in a a different – you guys got a different snake situation down there, though, because up here we might have, like, the odd poisonous snake come cruising through Manitoba, but not too many poisonous snakes up in this territory. And – I don't have a fear of snakes right now, but if I came across like some sort of rattlesnake or something, diamondback, I'm not too sure how I'd react. But it'd be hard to react. I think we're so oblivious to like, if we're walking through the field or through the bush, it's not like we're kind of like, oh shit, you know? Yeah. Like even if like right now, if I teleported to Texas to go hog hunting, I would be walking through with my vision, looking (laughs) for pigs, and I wouldn't even think about dangerous snakes. Yeah. Crazy. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be crappy? You, you have this amazing power to teleport, and you teleport and get bit by a rattlesnake like and instantly. Die. You just didn't. <laughs> you weren't paying attention to where you were landing. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. See, snakes and like and stuff like that, because like, even when we, uh, we vacationed in Arizona a couple times, and uh, the scorpions down there, man, just added levels of stress into the, into the household. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, like half the day, like if I'm sitting on a pool chair, I'm good. But like when I'm in the house walking through the carpet, like how many people just step on one on the carpet, right? That's what's going through my mind anyways. Yeah. (laughs) I don't understand the venomous or poisonous thing. I just stay like last night. In fact, I came across a water moccasin. No way. I was cruising. I mean, I'm like belly button deep in this pond catching frogs and i look and 10 12 feet in front of me is this water moccasin and i'm just like my my feet i mean i'm wearing sandals and shorts and my (laughs) feet are like a foot deep in the mud and so i can't move fast at all like luckily this thing just stayed put and then i like wiggled free got my feet loose and then got up on the bank but wow yeah i hate i hate encountering those things especially when i'm in the water if I'm on land, I can outrun a snake. In the yeah. water, I'm done. Like yeah. I'm screwed. If it wants me, it, it it's gonna get me. Dude, that's not fun at all. I got a buddy that's so scared of snakes. Listen to this story. So he can't even watch them on TV. And this one time, we're going to this old gravel pit to go swimming, and uh, me and a couple bu- other buddies are like probably like 50 yards ahead of him. He's he was like locking up his truck or something, and this there's this garter snake sitting on the trail and like garter snakes i don't know if you have them down there but they're oh yeah pretty harmless and this my mom buddy's like well, scared off the trail before our buddy sees so he goes up runs up scares it off the trail and we look back and he is already like all you can see is the bottom of his sneakers going the other way <laughs> he's so scared and he's back in his truck and he's not coming out just terrified Jeez. of him so doesn't sound like, like you're that bad. No, I'm not that bad. I mean, I've gone after a couple snakes in my day. Like, if I see them, I'm, I'm not necessarily scared of them. I just want to kill them so that I don't have to worry anymore, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I there's a lot of snakes that don't bug me at all. 
but the the ones that just like chill on the side of a trail, those get me. I've I've seen a I don't even know what kind of rattlesnake they have in Arkansas, but I had one about a foot away from me mm. as I was walking down the trail and I didn't know it. I walked right past it and my buddies came up and they're like, "Dude, big snake, big snake." And so I turned around and this thing's just No way. I'm like that I just like went red, man. I like grabbed my hatchet out of my pack, cut down a cane shoot, and I went after this thing, just stabbing it over and over. Because <laughs> I, I was like, "That's, that's not gonna bite me." Yeah. Like it could have just, it could have just hit my ankle that fast, and I no wouldn't kidding. have known what happened. And it just made me mad. So. Yeah. Yeah. That ain't fun. No. Well, I'm excited about this. I mean, I think it's pretty sweet. You guys, you guys are into a bunch of different type of hunting, up there, and I'm sure just about everything you guys do is different to some degree than how we do it down here in the lower 48. So I guess first off for my listeners, would you guys mind sharing where you're from and uh, the types of hunting that you enjoy? Go for it, Sheldon. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, uh, so we're from Manitoba. Uh, I live in the Western part of Manitoba uh, in a town or a city called Brandon. And um, I'm a lineman by trade. So I do quite a bit of traveling when I'm not hunting and stuff. So um, a lot of people have referred to me as a gypsy because I travel around the province quite a bit. But um, but yeah, so for hunting wise, hunting, fishing and all that other stuff, I kind of grew up um, in like a potland or pothole region kind of a Manitoba where there's lots of small potholes. So you, lots of ducks and, and geese in the fall and a lot of whitetail. And those are kind of my primary hunting species that I grew up learning how to hunt and learning how to be in the woods with my with my dad and then for fishing um i mean if you know anything about manitoba we we're very lucky and have like some of the best fisheries i think in north america in my opinion for for walleye jackfish or jackfish and catfish and everything else so i mean um i had a very healthy dose of being out in the lakes and rivers fishing growing up too so i guess in a nutshell i mean and then of course you know elk and moose um a lot of small game like uh, chickens and stuff, upland game birds, but primarily it'd be whitetail uh, and waterfowl. And then as I kind of got older and started doing my own thing, I really started focusing in on moose hunting. Uh, I got family and friends in Northern Manitoba that, and I worked in Northern Manitoba where I got to spend a lot of time at different moose camps and learning how they do it in different, not necessarily scenarios, but different um, landscapes, let's say. And then, so I've moose hunted right from the U S border all the way up to the Hudson Bay, so right up to the ocean, and then most northern northern part of Manitoba. So that's kind of my hunting uh, background. Nice. And I'm Chase, one of the another partner of the the three amigos of Panoramic here, and uh, similar story, I guess. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get brought up in a family that hunted and fished. Um, so dad took us out all all the time man and, and i'm having flashbacks now that i have kids thinking about all the the moments we had together when we first started getting out into the field and it's just like nothing that's ever quiet with the kids out in the woods so it's but just as long as they're having a good time that's all i want so um primary pursuits growing up was just a lot of whitetail hunting and uh some waterfowl hunting first first thing ever harvested was uh, a rough grouse sitting on a stump the 410 break open 410 still remember that one 
And then uh, same kind of thing as we got older. Um, I started guiding for my uncle when I got out of high school, so I was pretty fortunate there. Learned a ton about just everything hunting, bear hunting, uh, waterfowl, whitetail hunting, moose hunting. Um, learned a lot there. And then uh, after that, did some flying around the province and started elk hunting, started moose hunting on my own. And uh, yeah, linked up with Sheldon and the adventures continue, man. Do a lot of, prime. our primary pursuit too is probably like right now for me is um, Archie Whitetail. I got some pretty, pretty good locations not far from my house right now that I can slip out for an evening or, you know, morning hunt kind of thing. And then uh, the elk hunt or the, the moose hunt is always uh, the big commitment in the fall. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, whitetail, Canadian whitetail, they're just different. Like, people don't get it. I'm, we can see it from state to state here. But then the farther north you go, it just seems like the bodies get huge on those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we, we've had people that have come up to Wisconsin because, I mean, I was born and raised in Wisconsin. I live in Missouri now. Um, but I've had friends that have come up from, like, some of the southern states just to Wisconsin to waterfowl hunt. And they're like, dude, the deer here are insanely huge. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, that's a yearling. Like, that's that was born last year. And they're like, that's so big. Are you kidding me? And yeah, then they see like a 200 pound whitetail and they're like, what in the world? And I'm like, this is nothing compared to up in your guys' neck of the woods. You guys grow them big. Yeah. It's funny when I was, when I was guiding for whitetail, actually we had quite a few, um, quite a few guys come up from like New York and Pennsylvania and they would all say the same thing. They'd be like, I can't believe how big the bodies are on these deer. And like every, every time a guy would like shoot a big buck or something it was always like i can't believe how big the body is i'm like man look at look at the antlers this is what came for the antlers didn't you <laughs> but they were just always in awe about the bodies and it, it it didn't really click with me too much because i mean we grew up around it right yeah but yeah and dan what about you uh for our listeners like where did where did it all start for you and what do you primarily go for so for me, I mean, growing up in Wisconsin, I was part of the Orange Army. You know, they've got 600,000 whitetail hunters every opening weekend hitting the woods. And that was my family. It was my my mom and dad. They were both diehard hunters. They would go and sit in the same stand or uh, in the same 40-acre chunk of woods every year. And then I've got three older sisters and a younger brother while well, watching all three of my sisters start hitting the woods like they got into it and i would just have to sit back at home and it was it's always over the week of thanksgiving and i would sit there just waiting for someone to pull in because i'm like man if they pull in early i know they've got a deer and i'm like running out to check at that point they were driving a minivan so that was always awesome they'd leave the hatch open so you could see the deer as they're driving down the highway (laughs) and uh i would go out and just watch uh, watch for them to get home. And then it was probably about two years before I could legally hunt that I got to start going and sitting with my dad or with my uncle. And I was already hooked at that point. I mean, I was sold out on it. And my uncle got me into waterfowl hunting shortly after that. Once I moved down to Missouri for college, I just started hunting anything and everything I could. Frogs, um, rabbit, squirrel, duck, dove, goose, 
deer, coyotes, raccoons. I mean, if it if it had a season, I was probably out there chasing after it. And uh, moved out to Colorado for two years. Fell in love with western hunting. Um, uh, went out for my first two years uh, for a bull mo- or for a bull elk. Got a bull both years. Nice. The second year, I drew a mule deer tag along with my bull tag, and I actually doubled up in the same day. Got a buck and a bull, and nice. I was completely hooked. Uh, at this point, I mean, I've hunted a ton of different species, and hopefully, I can knock every one of them off the list. Even if I don't, obviously, the goal out there is to to have success. But I've been on plenty of hunts that were life changing hunts for me where I never pulled the trigger or maybe never encountered an animal. And so I just chased that new experience. Um, but there's always going to be things like whitetail and elk that I'll hold close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing that you did mention that, uh, orange army, I think that's what you said. Um, but that's very similar to up here too. Like I've never really been into that scene of like getting together with a bunch of people and hunting like in groups and pushing bush and stuff. Um, but it just seems to be like, that's almost like the starting point for even Canadian children, you know, like that's kind of how you get started. I think. Yeah. For a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, there's something, the camaraderie of it in the tradition of it. I mean, it's such a longstanding tradition in a lot of places in North America. And so it's like, see pictures or you hear stories of like grandparents and great grandparents going out and doing the same thing with their friends. You know, the apparel, the it, it may have been red plaid at that point, and now it's blaze orange. But uh, for the most part, like just getting together or having a deer camp where you can get away to or having a hanging station or a way station where everyone gathers and looks at the biggest deer that were killed and sees how much they weigh. There's something about it that I can't get out of my blood. I mean, no matter what I go and hunt one of the number one things I look forward to is going up to Wisconsin with a rifle every year. That's yeah. the culture, man. That, that's awesome. Yeah. What's um, your way station? What, like, is that community or is that just like your group? No. So uh, it used to be uh, check stations. So when you'd shoot a deer, you actually had to go and register it. Um, okay. Let the, let the County or in our case, it was the Wisconsin department of natural resources we had to go and check our deer and say, Hey, look, we actually had a tag for this. Um, they'll mark down, you know, if it's a buck, a doe, uh, how many points it has. And then they would always give you the option to weigh it. And they would do this at a bunch of different places. So the closest place for us was a corner store. It was a little gas station, uh, where we would always go in the mornings and get coffee or energy drinks and some snacks for the tree stand. But at night, it was like the whole parking. I mean, there was like four pumps at this whole gas station. We're in a town of 369 people, and the whole parking lot would be full, and everyone's gathered around one big truck bed, and you know there's a monster in there because nobody's yeah. looking anywhere else. And and so it was it was just something that different establishments would offer, and it would drive a ton of business. I mean, that week, they probably increased sales by 1,000%. And, uh, now they've done away with a lot of that because you can electronically check your deer now. And so when you harvest, you can just go on and punch your tag on your phone, uh, fill out a few pieces of information and then you're good to go. And I talk with a lot of people, especially up in Wisconsin. And I'm like, I'm going to start a movement. 
and it's going to be <laughs> bring back check stations because okay. there's something about that. There's something about the atmosphere. Now people just do it with the people that they hunt with at the at their family farm, which right. is still kind of cool. But when you have everybody coming in to look at your deer and you're just like showing it off or a kid shoots even a spike for the first time and he's just proud as can be getting his picture taken with it, there's nothing like it. And uh, I think we need to bring back that the camaraderie and the culture of it. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I feel like right now in the outdoor industry in the outdoor world that it's like there, there's a lot of like kind of fighting going on especially on like social media a lot of trash talking and stuff like that so i feel like the further away we get from those 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 old-timey traditions the further along we are on like separating as an outdoor community as well you know what i mean yeah well, to, to remove the electronic and like the impersonable side of it and do things in person, I don't ever get into fights with other hunters when I'm talking to them face to face, like never. I mean, me and my buddies, yeah, we give each other crap all the time, but we're never in like a heated argument mm -hmm. for yeah. me. If I post something on social media about shooting a 300 win mag or a 270 or a 65 Creed more there's going to be strong opinions about every single one of them. And they're going to be like, are you kidding me? You're not a real man. That's what you're shooting. It doesn't, you, you don't have to take that out in the woods or the boots that you wear or the camo or the scope. Everybody yeah. has an opinion of everything. And I'm like, it's all, it's all online. Yeah. When you actually get together in person with these people, you find way more commonalities than you do differences. But for some reason, the, the online side of things, it like magnifies the differences and I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, like you're talking about like between going, let's say online and like talking face to face is like, I know, I know times I've been to spots so like big buck nights in Manitoba and stuff. And you hear these stories, right? And it's not like you're going to call them out on it. You just like yeah. go back to your table and you're like, Hey, guess what? Dan Matthews said he shot that, that buck one shot, 600 yards running full tilt. And then everyone laughs and, you know, you carry on with your night. It's not like, it's not like we like call you out face to face. Yeah. It's kind of funny how you said that. Um, but the one thing that we do up here is like I mentioned was big buck night. Do you guys have, do you guys do those down there at all? Big buck night? Like uh, when you guys like at the end of this, the season, like normally our like local, like uh, wildlife federation or wherever, whatever, we'll put on these. It's kind of like almost like a little get together where there's prizes and stuff like that and they measure your 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 bucks and then and then score and score them and then the you know biggest wins in different categories. Oh, okay. Uh I mean, I know at it was actually at our church they did that for a long time. Okay. Uh, growing up, my dad he won big the biggest buck and he won like a gift card or he won like 50 bucks or something like that. Um a little trophy came with it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, "You got a trophy for shooting a deer? That's awesome." Uh <laughs> Now, now it seems like they do like, they call them big buck boards where like you go to the local bar and you can throw five or 10 bucks in. And mm. if you, if you shoot the biggest buck, you take home, you know, 80% of the pot and the bar takes home the other 20%. Right. And, uh, so they do competitions like that. But as far as like big, big events where a bunch of people get together, I haven't done one like that since I was probably in middle school. Yeah, like up here, every, well, not every small town, but 75% of the towns in this, in our province will have like a big buck night where they're 
I mean, not far up north, wherever there's deer. And some of them are like so big. I think there's one down in a little town called Miami, not Miami, Florida, Miami, Manitoba. And I think it's like huge. And they're giving away like brand new guns. They're giving away like for big buck night. And, and then you have like different categories. Not only that, it's super, I think it's a super cool event. And it reminded me of, you know, your way station or your check station story is because every town had these things and it was huge. It was a big thing to go to. And now it's just like, ah, people post it on Facebook and you see what, you know, Walter shot over there. Like he doesn't need to bring it in anymore, you know, but I think they're starting to grow a little bit because they're super good for kids. Right. Like, cause they'll oh, yeah. have like, they'll have like the junior category. They'll have a, uh, you know, what, like the woman's category, they'll have black powder, archery rifle. And yeah, it's super cool. And you get in this thing, the camaraderie, you can talk to other hunters, um, yeah, some of them are really, really big, and some are small. You get a little trophy and a handshake, and some, yeah, some pretty good prizes. Yeah, the the cool thing about them too is like you get to, uh, if you enter a, a rack or a buck or a elk or a moose or whatever, you know it gets professionally measured up, and then if it's just yeah. big enough, you know it goes in the the Manitoba Big Game Awards book too. So that, that's sweet. I'm gonna book. have to look into that and see if like. A local chapter of the National Deer Alliance or something wants to try to put something like that on because I'm all about these events, man. Like mm-hmm. I just love getting people together who have a common interest and just sharing stories, talking about gear, uh, doing like going skeet shooting or fishing a small pond, and just everybody gets together. We have fun, um, and obviously a big buck like banquet that'd be amazing to do. Yeah. yeah they're super fun man the one in brandon where i where i'm living it's probably one of the bigger ones in western manitoba and it's super cool because like everyone has like chase saying moose and elk um whitetail and i think that's all the categories they have right now but anyways and they have like tables and tables set up and like with all these racks and antlers and everything and you just kind of walk and it shows the score of them um, like where, not where it was shot, but like maybe the local community of like from where he was from. And then like a lot of the hunters kind of stand there and, you know, will tell their story. Like it's, it's super cool. Like I, last year, two years ago, I went to the last one and before COVID. And I think I spent like three or four hours there talking to people, like having some beers too, but like walking those tables and checking out stuff. And then you like, cause you know, like you hear like, oh, buddy shot this big buck down, you know, 20 miles away from home. And it's like, oh, right on. And you never get to see it because some of these guys won't put it on social media. They wait till big buck night to show it off. So it's super cool. cool. Yeah. Man, I got to come up there and check one of these big buck nights out. That sounds like a ton of fun. (laughs) We've done like some game feeds in the past. Um, Like certain places will do like a potluck dinner and you can bring a bunch of different game meat. And I mean, you'll have everything from, from squirrel to pheasant to elk, bear, you name it. Um, and I've always enjoyed that because you can see how other people are cooking the meat. You're trying things that you've never had before, like bear. I didn't, I had never had bear until I went to one of those. Um, yeah, there's something about the social side of hunting. I can't, I can't get past it. We, we do a big bull contest. Well, I shouldn't say big bull. We pay out at our elk camp because we have a big elk camp that we do every year. And some years we'll have 20 people there. Totally. And, I mean, everybody kind of splits off the unit we hunt is like just under a million acres. So there's oh, wow. plenty of room for it. Um, but we'll do a, a contest and it started out as a big bull contest. And so they would, the winner 
whoever shot the biggest one would take home all the cash. Well, what they were realizing is as soon as someone shot a bull, a bunch of other people weren't shooting because they wanted to win. So mm -hmm. like they'd see one a little bit smaller <laughs> and they weren't shooting. So now we do uh, first, biggest, and smallest all get payouts. And nice. so the biggest takes like 50%, the smallest takes 25, and the first takes 25. Oh, yeah. And so um, it, it's just kind of a cool thing that we do every year. And um, it's just among our hunting group. But, I mean, when you have – not everybody pays into it. Not everybody wants to compete. But when you have 15 guys all throwing in 100 bucks, like – you could take home some serious cash. You could pay for your hunting trip. No yeah. kidding. That's crazy. That'd be pretty sweet. Well, speaking of those, I've always wondered about those camps, uh, elk camps, like the, what would be like the foot of a mountain, the base of a mountain or whatever you're hunting. Is it like all like prospector tents and stuff and campers and you guys just have like bonfires at night and shoot the shit and the next morning just go off with your group and or like, how yeah. does that work for you guys? Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, the camp that I go to, a lot of the people are from Colorado. Um, oh, yeah. But now, like me and one other guy, we come out every year from Missouri. Uh, there's probably four guys now that come from from Nebraska. There's a guy who comes from California. And it's all, like, really close friends and family. And oh, yeah. they're just coming from all over the place. But, yeah, uh, some of the guys pull out RVs. Uh, some pull out toy haulers uh, with their side-by-side -side or four-wheelers in the back. We'll set up. I feel like most years we have four wall tents set up. We've got a really big one that the, that a bunch of guys just went in on last year. And uh, it, it's just like our mess hall. So we've got a big flat iron blackstone grill nice. that we set up. We cook up a bunch of food. We have picnic tables and a bunch of folding tables with all the drinks and condiments and buns and you name it. And so, yeah, we get together and then I'd say we split off into groups of anywhere from two to six people. And, you know, there might be six guys that go to one side of the unit and they'll go spike camp in their tents for four or five days chasing after elk. They'll come back if they get something or they'll radio us or send us a message so that once we're on top of the mountain and have service, we know like, hey, they need help packing something out. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's really cool. Like there's a lot of guys there that I've never actively hunted with, but I've known them for several years because we kind of have our core group that we go out and we shoot, shoot elk together. Yeah. That sounds, sounds kind of similar. And maybe I'll let Chase talk a little bit towards his deer camp that he goes to. But um, like right now we do all kind of the, not, no, it's not even kind of the same thing. It's not even really close. I don't think <laughs> But like we do like a, we call it deer camp, which is basically a bunch of like my cousins and really close family go to my dad's acreage. Basically we get together there and then we have like a competition, you know, like, you know, the biggest buck of the, of the season, it'll be like a 40 ounce or booze. Everyone puts it in or whatever, just cause like, yeah, we're kind of like redneck like that, I guess. And anyways, we so and people will come like throughout the seasons. Like for instance, like my brother in law will come out for black powder for a week, right? And then like my cousin will come to in rifle season for a week. Chase will come out and bow hunting for three or four days. But like that's kind of like how we do our deer camp. It's just like we always invite people, and for timing, it never lines up where we could all be there at the same time. And nonetheless, I mean, it's at my dad's acreage, so. I mean, it, it does get a little tight for sleeping space and stuff, but that's kind of the closest thing I guess I do right now for like a, a big camp with a bunch of people. Yeah. 
but Chase, Chase, you got you got a pretty good camp going uh, at Duck Mountain there. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I think there's five or six of us that head out there normally, opening week of rifle whitetail season, and um, yeah, we got. We're lucky enough. Our buddy has a nice piece of private property right on the edge of um, one of the biggest provincial parks in Manitoba. I think it. Well, maybe not one of the biggest, but a very nice <clears throat> piece of public land. Um, lots of deer, lots of hunting opportunities and, uh, a damn good time. We got same thing, a couple wall tents up there. I think he's trying to move a cabin there right now. He's been trying to move this cabin for years. And then he had a, he had a, a mover booked this fall to move it while we're up there in camp. And we had like the snowstorm of a century come in and there's like three feet of snow got dropped up there. <laughs> it was, it was wild. We couldn't, we couldn't leave camp for like two days until like a tractor came down and plowed all the road and stuff for us. So it was pretty wild, but, uh, but yeah, we've been going there for quite a few years now and it's, it's, uh, it's always a good time. We used to go, well, I used to go for a few guys still go for a week, but I'm, I'm lucky to get out there now for three or four days, which is, which is good normally. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's something in our blood about getting away and going hunting somewhere. Like it just hits differently. You can go and hunt your backyard and it's cool. But when you get a group of people together, I think part of it has to do with, I mean, almost every civilization in the history of the world has had like hunting parties that go out or, you know, some form of that. And even now when, when I bring somebody out who's never hunted before, they're like, dude, this is so amazing. Like, I'm, I'm going to get into this and it, it, it is that you go somewhere different that you've never been and you get out there and hunt. Yeah, for sure. And like, that's the thing too. When we first started panoramic outdoors, like we kind of sat down and like listed a bunch of things that we wanted to accomplish, let's say. And that was like one thing you kind of just mentioned it. There's like, we have a lot of friends and or family that come out fishing or hunting for the first time that are in like their, you know, mid twenties or mid thirties or whatever. And they're like, Oh man, this is awesome. So like, that was part of the reason why we started panoramic was like to bring in these people that didn't have any avenue to get together with a group of people. Right. But as soon as they get into the group of people, like I'm, I've heard a couple of my buddies say that played hockey all their life. It's like, man, this is the same as a locker room. Like we're shooting the shit and we're having, you know, just hanging out, Yeah. you know? And like, even like for myself, I know my sister said this to me the other day. Like maybe a couple months ago, she's like, have you been on like a vacation in the last four or five years? And I was like, no, like I just take my holidays and go hunting or fishing and that's my holiday. And I freaking enjoy, I wouldn't change it. Like I go to elk camp or moose camp for a couple of weeks or deer camp for a week or whatever. That's the way I do it. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I like planning my vacation around hunting trips. <laughs> my wife doesn't care for it as much, but I'm starting to <laughs> discover there's a lot of cool opportunities in tropical places. Like right. spear fishing, that's something I want to do. Uh, she really wants to go to Hawaii for our 10-year anniversary. Nice. And I was like, hey, I can hunt goat and pig and axis deer and I can go fishing a ton. And so now I'm trying to convince her to let We've got two other friends. Uh, we all got married within about a year of each other. And I was like, why don't we do a giant combined 10-year anniversary? We can split off as couples, go do our own thing for a couple of days. And then one day, all the ladies can sit on the beach and drink 
drink cocktails and all the guys will go out fishing or hunting or something. Nice. And so I don't know how that's going to go. Hopefully <laughs> she likes me enough to make it happen. <laughs> oh man. We're talking, we went on a family vacation uh, a few years ago now and in the planning portion of it, um, like why there or whatever got, got brought up and I was like, all right, let's like, let's go. And I'm bringing my bow and I'm going, going hunting for a couple of days. Yeah. And then things got changed around and we didn't end up going, but, uh, but, uh, I still brought my fishing rod. Didn't end up catching any fish, but, uh, still tried um, to get out anyways. Yeah. What, what do you guys have planned for this year? Uh, any big hunts coming up or do you guys have any bucket list hunts that you have planned in the near future? Oh man, this year for me anyways, it's, it's, uh, we, we traveled to new territory last year to go moose hunting and kind of got bit in the butt because it was low water in the river we were hunting and really hard travel. We wrecked a canoe and, uh, still had a good time. Uh, gone to some incredible brook trout fishing, had some moose action, but never, never ended up coming home with the moose and, um, kind of looking for redemption on that. But, uh, I also drew an elk tag this year for archery elk and, uh, got some redemption there that I need to go, go after for the, for the elk in the inner lake here. Cause we've been hunting them with the archery equipment for three years now and have yet, to uh, arrow one. So like we were kind of chatting earlier, got, got real tight on a lot of elk and, um, they like to humble you pretty quick some days, man. <laughs> they definitely, uh, are tough to figure out. And, and the bush is so thick up here. It's like we've, we've been within 15 yards of elk and just screaming their head off. And, you know, you can't even hardly see a patch of fur on them suckers. So Dang. it's tough. It's tough. I bet you wish you could teleport. Yeah. <laughs> teleport to another patch of bush. <laughs> exactly need uh maybe that'd be my superpower just get some my bow shoot like through stuff or see through be able to see through the bush with a bow that can shoot through it <laughs> yeah like it, it'll just go straight forever and go through any obstacle yeah until you want it to stop who's the guy that like whistles isn't there a guy what was that from i think that was from <laughs> guardians of the galaxy he whistles and like sends arrows out oh really you know what i'm talking about i haven't, yeah. seen, I haven't seen that no they're like one. these little pet arrows that like pop up and then he'll whistle and send them out and kill people with them. And wow. Like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Now we got to see this. Yeah. Get some I want to switch my superpower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, uh, uh, gosh, man, I'm not, I'm not a super like comic book kind of guy. Um, but is it Hawkeye? Hawkeye with the Avengers, the archery dude? I have dude? no idea. Oh, maybe. I have no idea. Anyways, he's like a super good shot. He always hits a bullseye or something. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Jelly, um, what do you got? What do you got planned, buddy? Oh, man. Let me tell you. I, so the last two years, so last year and this year, I haven't gotten drawn for anything. Um, so I, I, I really push whitetail hunting. I've, I got a new crossbow last year. So I've harvested my first year with a crossbow last year. Um, and I'm very, I don't know, man. There's something about that crossbow. I, I like it a lot. And before I got the crossbow, I was the kind of guy that would archery hunt until it was minus 20. The wind was howling every day and I could not archery hunt anymore. And then that's when I'd pick up a, a gun and then finish the season off. But now with this, with this crossbow, I'm like thinking, man, I can hunt archery basically all year. 
you know, in a way. Yeah. So I'm going to like really push whitetail hunting this year. Um, as for like a bucket list trip, I kind of put my bucket list stuff from like obtainable to this may never happen on my bucket list. And like, I, it's gotta be just getting on an elk hunt. So I'm kind of hoping that chase is going to send me an invite to come to his, on his tag to come just tag along and maybe take some uh, video and stuff and be there when it all happens. But I, my bucket list would be, would be being a part of an elk hunt and being successful. I mean, Chase and I have put on miles chasing those buggers and uh, haven't got one yet, but mm-hmm. that's probably my bucket list as, as my first one anyways. Nice. I, I want to do what you've already done, which is get a, a bull moose with my bow. I want to oh, do yeah. an Alaskan, Alaskan moose hunt, a fly in, float out, you know, put like 60 miles on a pack raft and just get out every night and call, try to see what comes in in the mornings and then hit the river again and just do that day in and day out. Probably have like a bonus caribou, bear and wolf tag in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't and know. And why, why up, like why up there? I don't know. So- just something about Alaska. I've been, I've been twice. Uh, I haven't been up to like the Yukon, uh, the Canadian Yukon or the Alaskan Yukon at all. Um, but just seeing the scale of it and being that far away from other people. Like I want to, I want to go somewhere where I'm not going to see anybody. Mm -hmm. I might see one plane a day, you know, that type of spot where there's no outside interference or distractions and I can just be in the wild. And I mean, I'd have, I'd have people with me, but like, I would want to only encounter my group of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I'm open to anywhere. Like I, I'm putting in for Maine. I put in for Colorado every year for moose. I just think moose are so cool. The size of them. Um, I love the way they taste, man. When my buddy shot his dude, we, that night we cooked up moose heart and moose tongue. And then we cooked up some of the tenderloins the next night and it was like every cut of meat was amazing on it. So, yeah. Moose meat is amazing. I was just asking because I, it's also on my bucket list to go to the Yukon, but I will say as being a resident of Manitoba, Manitoba, the Manitoba moose, like Northern Manitoba moose can range anywhere. You know, some of the big ones up to like 60 plus inches. Right. And it's to the point where a lot of these outfitters that we've talked to are like, when they get their mounts done, they're ordering the Alaskan Yukon moose mounts because these, these babies are getting that big. Right. So I was just thinking like, if it was something like you wanted to get that big ginormous moose, like there's opportunity, right. in Northern Canada, right across like Saskatchewan, even Alberta probably. Right. So, um, but yeah, that's obviously, yeah. The Yukon moose hunt is on my list too someday. I'd love to hunt that territory and like see the mountains and that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, I get. I feel like every now and then, uh, like thinking about going up to Canada and hunting stuff. Uh, we, I used to go up to like Lake of the Woods all the time and fish every summer. Uh, there were different places all around Canada that we would go as a group and and do like father son trips or my dad and my mom. They went and did couples trips a couple of years. Um, but as far as hunting, I don't know why. Uh, it's probably not nearly as hard as I'm making it out to be, but there's something intimidating about figuring out all the custom stuff and, you know, getting my firearm up there, getting a weapon across the border and then coming back. Um, I don't know. I am like, if I stay in Alaska, uh, I don't have to worry about all the customs paperwork at least. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Just, just extra variables you got to worry about. Right. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a ton of people. I mean, there's opportunities for shooting big, 
big animals all over Canada. I mean, you guys have so many sweet opportunities. And for some reason, there's like that romantic idea of Alaska and you've seen the postcards or you've watched the mm -hmm. hunts. And so that's always been in the back of my mind, but I guarantee there's places as beautiful in Canada and maybe they're not as sought out and they might be easier to get to and get a tag for. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You, uh, like, you know, you're talking about not, not seeing anybody while you're hunting kind of thing. And, um, when I was guiding some of the places that we would, we would hunt whitetail where it was like what we would deem as like the, the big bush country where there was no ag land around. We were like in the woods and we'd, we'd go and we set, we'd set up <clears throat> an insulated wall tent and that would be our camp for three weeks kind of thing. And hunters would come in and out. And then like a lot of the guys that would come in and they'd be sitting in a tree stand and they, they would say, they'd come back at the end of the day and just be like, I can't believe how quiet it is out here. Like you don't hear a car or a person, nothing like once in a while, a plane will fly over. But, but, uh, yeah. And all it's, it's like all that stuff's just normal to us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Hey, Chase. Yeah. Um, for Dan's listeners, if you if you could go down south to like uh, into the state somewhere to go for a hunt, what would you go for? Like where would you, what would you go after? Good question, man. I don't. Uh, I I can't say I I know every opportunity that's down there in the states as well. Um, geez, it would probably have to be either an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt or something like that in like montana or utah or something like that yeah something but i would have to like get a year's notice so i could get in shape for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i need two years um i think i'd go for like a, and I, this might sound silly to some people but like a dove hunt because like we i've never other than waterfowl like getting into some super good you know duck hunts and stuff like that it's never like i get to sit there and just fire off rounds like crazy. I mean, the odd snow goose hunt, I think I've been on where you're going through a few boxes of shells or whatever, but I think it'd be cool to try that dove hunt. And we talked to uh, Cameron Rupp down in Texas and he was saying, oh yeah, you just sit on the lawn chair and, and pull a bunch of shells and just knock down doves. And I'm like, man, I got to try it. And then not only that, I want to try like the table fair afterwards, right? It is amazing. And you've got an open spot down here in Missouri. If you ever want to come down September 1st, September 1st is opener every year. Nice. You go to a pub, a public land area. Uh, there's a ton of other people, but it doesn't matter. Like you bring a ton of shells and you can't reload fast enough. A lot of the times, <laughs> I mean, you're like oh, yeah. pulling all three shots off reloading. There's doves whipping past you and it only lasts like that for about a day and a half. And then the doves get wise to it and they take, really? off. they're like, we're not sticking around. <laughs> no way. Wow. I'd be interested to see some stats on the, on that. on like, how much shot gets put into the air that those couple days, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> you've, have you guys seen the new Top Gun movie? It's basically like that. The doves are just the, I haven't seen pilots, it yet. No. I mean, just flying around trying to get shot down. And it's funny because you'll hear it like typically around, I don't know, 10, 10, 15, there's a lull and there's just not as many birds flying early in the morning. It's really heavy. There's just, it sounds like world war three. Um, but then all of a sudden there will be a lull and nobody on the whole field is firing. And then all of a sudden you hear, and it's like, pew, 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 
and it gets louder and louder coming towards you and you're just looking like where is this dove and you can see it and it's just darting and dodging and everyone's just unloading on this and then one person finally hits it and the whole field everyone's cheering like yeah he got it it didn't get through it's like running the gauntlet and when it's only one everyone becomes a team to just kill this thing so it's fun man we have a lot of a lot of fun dove hunting down here but yeah doing like jalapeno bacon wrapped dove poppers oh yeah that is i mean you can't go wrong with a bunch of cream cheese bacon i mean drizzle some maple syrup on that thing hey there you go the heat yeah oh gosh i'm into that man into that 100 percent, dude i love i love food i really do and i feel like i'm missing out on life right now because i've been doing this diet and workout plan and so i eat basically the same thing every single day for breakfast and then every single day for lunch and every single day for dinner. And I get one cheat meal a week and I'm like, get me out of here, man. Like, I, yeah. wanna eat. I love, I love food. I was, I've always eaten thousands and thousands of calories a day in every dessert, everything you put in front of me just disappears. And now I feel like I'm in prison. So. <laughs> i i did a diet last year and i did the keto diet right and like i'm not a, i'm not a guy to go to the gym workout at all but like was being more active in different activities and stuff and i yeah i lost like 40 pounds i felt awesome but i felt that pain of like watching people eat pizza oh at a gosh. restaurant and i'm eating fucking steak bites and i'm just like oh my god this sucks like yeah. this sucks it's terrible, man. It's like that thing you just can't get it off your mind. Yeah. And I'm a snacker like all day long, every day. It doesn't matter. I've got a child's palate too. Everything that my kids eat, I eat more of it. You know, like, <laughs> dude, I'll eat chicken nuggets and mini corn dogs and fish sticks and graham crackers. I don't care. I'll eat whatever. And uh, yeah, now watching them just go to town on food or like seeing stuff pop up online or on TV. I'm just drooling and I'm like, I would do just about anything for a fat, like bacon, double cheeseburger with extra cheese and barbecue sauce. Yeah. That's how they get you, man. That's how they get you. And what is this like? Is this diet plan of yours? Is this like ongoing? Like you don't know an end date or do you got like a goal? Like, like by December 1st, I'm going to do this or like, what's your plan? So I said, uh, eight weeks, uh, a buddy of mine, he was like, Hey man, if you're interested, like, We'll, we'll set some goals if you want to be at this weight or this body fat percentage or be able to lift this much. Like, just tell me what you need. And so I was like, all right, sweet. One, I just want to be in better shape when I go out west because where I'm at, I'm at low elevation. And so when I head out west and I'm hunting at like 9,000 up to 12,000 feet for certain hunts, it, shit, it kicks my butt, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I want to be in better shape. I want to be able to have more endurance and then my wife, she's like, you remember when we got married and you had like an eight pack? And I was like, <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Yep. I sure do. <laughs> and, uh, she's like, I'm not saying like, I'm unhappy with you, but like, that was a pretty sweet eight pack. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm also in my mid thirties now. Yeah. And, but I know, I mean like Cam Haynes, man, like you can't tell me it can't be done. He's what in his fifties and he's just kicking people's butts on the trail. Yeah. And so I'm like, I, I think I'd rather try to get back in shape now. And that way when I'm 50 years old, it's not going to be nearly as easy to lose 30, 40 pounds. 
So anyways, I set a goal of, uh, I guess technically it was 19 pounds. I wanted to be down to 190. Um, I hit that in like two and a half weeks, three weeks. Nice. And now I'm just like, all right, what can I do to build my endurance, build my strength? Um, and as soon as I'm done with this program, I'm going to do the elk shaped stuff. I don't know if you've seen that. I actually had him on the podcast recently and, um, his stuff is all geared around being in the best shape possible for hunting. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's so I know I didn't get to my, my biggest fear on our, uh, five burners and, uh, mine is going to the mountains and getting destroyed out there because I'm a prairie boy. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I've been trying to plan a, a hunt to go out with my buddy because he lives out close to, uh, he lives in Alberta. He's been telling me to come out for a couple of years, but yeah. So I, I'm kind of back in the gym now too, just being like, all right, this has got to happen and you got to get in shape for this and not, not like blow this opportunity going out there. I, I had a guy, um, <clears throat> the first elk that I ever shot, we were a couple miles back in. And I think, I think we were probably somewhere in between the eight to 9,000 feet in elevation. And it was me and my buddy, Sean, just the two of us. We got back there. I shot this bull and his brother and his brother's buddy, Dan, they both came down to help us pack it out. Well, it was almost completely uphill the whole way back. And so me and Sean, we both got our like meat packs on, you know, we can stuff meat in a bunch, like he's got a meat shelf. I had an internal frame, but I had like a meat pouch that went over the top of the bag and his, his brother Shane comes down and he's got a meat pack. And then Dan comes down and he doesn't have anything with him. (laughs) And I'm like, well, he's not going to be any help. Like he's in his fifties at least. And like, what's he going to do? Just like carry two bags, three miles back to the side by side. (laughs) No joke. This guy threw them on his shoulders, just game bags with meat. And it was like boned out, but still, I mean, that's dead weight yeah. like, to its fin- its finest. And he beat us all up the mountain. Come on. And I'm just like, all right, this <laughs> makes me feel terrible. I'm half his age looking at us. You'd think I'd be able to hoof it up that mountain. And I was at the back of the pack most of the time. And I was like, I don't want to be doing this again. Yeah. So. Wow. We, uh, one year we shot an elk and it, uh, ran up into what's called the duck mountains in our neck of the woods which is like the highest elevation in manitoba i think is the duck mountains and it's like three thousand feet above sea level so it's not like huge elevation at all but there's some like there's some ravines and stuff and uh anyways this this elk went back like uh i think it's a couple miles we ended up tracking it back into the hills and we weren't prepared to hike it out at all because we were hunting (coughs) on like a farm field and thankfully I had a frame pack with me, like an old, one of those old aluminum ones with like the, the blue bag on it kind of thing, you know? So I hauled that in with me and, uh, I was the only one with the frame pack and the other guys just like, they tried hauling quarters out on like sticks, which was a disaster. And they ended up just like tying rope around these quarters and like putting it around their back. And they were just bruised and cut right up by the time we got back. The invention of the meat shelf is probably one of the greatest things for hunt like backcountry hunters. Yeah. And I, I never knew anything of it. We we would drag our deer out whole. Mm-hmm. And 
or you know we'd gut them and then drag them out we didn't I, I didn't know anything about quartering or boning out meat or anything like that um but yeah once i found out about it i was like yep if you don't have the right equipment you are going to be hurting for a full week after trying to pack out an elk yeah totally um i want to slide off the elk topic here and the the backcountry hunts a little bit and i need you to tell me about uh frog gigging oh man <laughs> yeah dude frog gigging it is it's a good time it doesn't start until sunset on june 30th and so yesterday at sunset was our first opportunity to go out and you just go around from pond to pond like uh a couple of us will have high-powered spotlights everybody's got a headlamp on and you can either you can fish for them which we tried that for the first time and it didn't work last night uh, you just dangle a treble hook in front of them, and apparently, like, they'll just grab onto it sometimes. Really? And you pull them up. Hmm. It did not. It scared them off almost every time last night. Um, and then you can, so, yeah, you can gig them. You can net them, just like with a net of really any type of net, as long as they can't fit through the holes on it. Um, you can shoot them with a twenty two or smaller caliber. Uh, BB guns even are legal. Um, you can hand grab them. So it's almost any way that you can catch it is legal. Yeah. You just have to you just have to have a license for it. And so there's a bag limit of eight frogs per person per night. Um, and yeah, you just walk around and you'll hear them like on the other side of the pond. And so all of a sudden, all the headlights and all the <laughs> spotlights are shining over there, and they they typically face the water, and um, they like to escape into the yeah. water if they're on shore. You know, they'll find a spot where they're surrounded on three sides and then they can just take one jump right into the into the pond. Um, and so the best way to do it is get in the water and be shining back at the bank. And once you see it, you keep your spotlight on it. You don't want the ripples from you walking towards it to, to hit it. That'll force them to jump sometimes. If you cross in front of the beam of the light, like if your buddy's shining it and you try to get in front of him, uh, they'll jump. So you just have to keep it right on their eyes the whole time, and then you walk up and you just whatever your method of take is, you gig them, you grab them, and oh. once you get them, I mean, like last night, I bet you, I bet you the two biggest ones were probably each fourteen inches long, wow, like nose wow. to toes, and you chop them off at the hips, pull the we call it, say pulling the pants off of them, you pull the skin off of them, and then you just batter them like your favorite fish or chicken, nice. and deep fry them. So, um, how long does that season go for? It goes for a while. I honestly don't like, we typically, we put a really big emphasis on it at the beginning because yeah. we throw a, we call it the white trash bash, uh, for the 4th of July. <laughs> and so we like to bring a bunch of frog legs to it and fry them up. And then after that, it kind of fizzles out. Like we, we don't, we don't over hunt the ponds that we have access to just because, um, it takes seven years for these frogs to get fully mature and like the big ones. Oh, wow. And so if we okay. go and kill all the medium sized ones, we might be five years out before yeah. we have mm -hmm. mature frogs again. So we'll typically go like two or three nights and get, get our limits yeah. and then we just shut it down for the year. Yeah. Cool. But yeah. I yeah. think the season's like over a month long. Sweet. We never go that long. That's pretty cool, man. Um, for those of you that are, that are listening right now, we're, we're recording this on the uh, uh, Canada Day, 4th of July, long weekend. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. 
yeah it's so you guys like have we planned it yeah i know it's like <laughs> we're just talking about relevant stuff now all my buddies actually i've been my phone's been over here vibrating blowing up everyone's trying to figure out if i'm going to come out again tonight uh, <laughs> they they're all out there the sun just went down here and so oh man they'll probably normally we give it about a full hour before uh, after sunset before we go out because they're not super active until it's really dark out yeah yeah um, get dark. yeah it's it's just another weird thing man we picked the strangest hunting seasons to go all in on frogs <laughs> and doves man it's yeah just, i feel like we have more people show up to those than we do for deer season that's crazy <laughs> that's sweet well a couple things that i want to do too that you guys do a lot south of the border is the frogs and i'd love to like i haven't traveled on the east coast down south at all and i our east coast at all and i'd love to get in like a crawfish boil or something like that down there too oh dude that'll change your world man yeah crawfish I, boils and and gator like i mean typically if you go down to louisiana or if you get in with some louisiana boys they'll do crawfish boils they'll do catfish and gator and we we did it one year for work i was out in colorado and they put on it we had some law enforcement officers come up from louisiana and they brought it up like 250 pounds of crawfish nice and they taught me i had never done it before and they taught me all about how to break it open and then like you suck the brain juice out and you <laughs> eat the meat from the tail uh and holy cow man i bet you i ate it this is definitely exaggerating, but it felt like I ate 10 pounds of crawfish. No and it kidding. Was yeah. So good. Yeah. And yeah, that's one of my favorite meals now. But being in the center of the United States, you don't get good crawfish boils. Hard to often. get the fresh stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. One thing I'm excited about this weekend um, one of our neighbors is in the Air Force and he's actually out on the East Coast right now. And I think he's flying home either tomorrow or Sunday with fresh lobsters from the east coast oh man and we're doing lobster dinner on sunday night I'm pumped about that just just keep talking about food man just, <laughs> oh yeah sorry fuck your diet wishing I could <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, i think i think so we're celebrating the fourth of july on the third this year just because it's still on the weekend <laughs> and uh more <laughs> excuse me more people can come out um but i'm definitely eating whatever i want I'm yeah. like, when we're talking about freedom, you better believe I'm going to eat whatever I feel like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cheat day. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have to, uh, Chase, we're going to have to send him a pack of the like, catch and cook for him to try on his frog legs. Yeah, that's we, a good uh, idea, man. One of our really good buddies is, I don't know if you've heard of catch and cook, but he started catch and cook with a, another local fisherman from Canada. And um, unreal, like, batter, we put it on everything, but. We'll have to send you a pack so you can try it out. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm all about it. Nice. Uh, I just, yeah. I, I want to eat so bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's get off the food topic quick. And before we like, kind of, I don't know when you guys want to wrap this up, but I do have one question. I was kind of burning to ask you, Dan. Um, it's not really a, well, it kind of, kind of is a hunting and fishing question or whatever you want to call it. But um, before we, I think we started recording, you kind of talked about, some of the other stuff you've been doing um talked about how you got into hunting and what you're hunting now but like why a podcast like what made you think or what gave you the itch to record what you thought or what other people think and and present it to people like where'd that all come from for you um i started listening to podcasts a while back i listened to mark Kenyon and the wired to hunt podcast 
um, him and his co-host Dan Johnson, they did a great job just talking about different whitetail hunting opportunities specifically, um, talked about gear, talked about strategy and tactics and really informed me of how many different ways there are to go about chasing after whitetail. And then, uh, I got fully caught up on that at one point. So then I switched over to the meat eater podcast, started listening to that. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Like these guys just talk to other people. Like that's it. Mm. I mean, they're just, I mean, obviously they have a lot more into the business than just having conversations, but I was like, that seems really cool. And I'd like to do that. And typically once you get me on the hunting or fishing topic, you can't shut me up. So I was like, it seems like a good fit. Right. <laughs> and, uh, my wife, she got sick of me talking about doing it. And she's like, either buy a microphone or shut up. Like <laughs> I I'm, I'm sick of you saying you're going to do it and you haven't done it yet. And so I was like, all right. So I did. Um, and initially I, I, I was like everybody else, you know, I'm going to get like the biggest name people on the podcast. I'm going to have, you know, the Steve Ranellas and the Randy Newbergs and the Cam Haynes and the Joe Rogans. And like, I'm going to talk to all these people. And then I realized that's going to be really difficult to get some of these people on my podcast. And I was like, also they're here. Everybody already hears from them all the time. You get on social media. If you're a hunter, it's popping up on your page. Um, if you already listen to podcasts, you hear their, their names and their voices all the time. And so I, my wife and I were brainstorming and it was like, what if we just have everyday people on? Because I enjoy talking to them just as much as I would enjoy talking to anybody else. And mm -hmm. so we put some feelers out there and that first weekend we had 500 emails come in about Whoa. people that wanted to talk. And I'm like, wow. I haven't even had 500 people listen to my podcast at this point. And but yeah, we just posted some stuff on social media and I, that's kind of how it went. Just yeah. started having, I mean, I, I've got plenty of other people that I've talked to like in the podcast community or in the hunting industry, but I'd say the majority of people that I talk to are absolute no-name people outside of their hunting circle. Nobody knows who they are. Right. And it's so cool to hear their stories and hear how passionate they are and hear just the way that they go about it from the Northeast to the Southwest to Florida to Washington State and everywhere in between. Um, I don't know. I, I've fallen in love with the idea of just giving a voice to everybody in the mm -hmm. hunting industry and like there's no wrong way to hunt unless you're doing it illegally or unethically mm -hmm. and I, I want people to be open-minded to the different opportunities and so that's kind of where it all kicked off and I'm just rolling with it now it's weird that I'm like a podcaster <laughs> how many years have you been doing it now Dan uh it's been probably like seriously about a year I started okay. it I think probably like a year and six maybe a year and nine months ago Okay. Um, but I took like a six month break in there somewhere, uh, where I just didn't create anything. And so yeah. I don't really count that first part, but yeah, about a year full on. Right on. Yeah. It's funny how you kind of mentioned that about like guests and stuff. And I, I, I'll maybe speak on myself personally. I don't want to speak for Chase or Tristan at all, but when we first started the podcast and it was like, we did a few episodes where it was just us like bullshitting, talking about stories. But then we like soon realized we're like, man, we're like out of stories. Like we, we can't talk anymore about deer hunting because we've told all the stories. So then we started getting guests on. And to be honest, like we've, we've had guests from not trying to pump our own tires, but we've had guests from everything from like uh, retired athletes to biologists, to professional hunters, professional anglers. And to be honest, the best ones, man, are the, 
or the you know your neighbor or the some guy that you didn't even know hunted that lives 20 miles away and yeah. tells his elk story and we just like and our and that episode will blow up right and and i mean of course there's a lot of local people that listen to that too right but it, it's crazy how much people just want to hear a story rather than like oh i know joe rogan fucking lifted a hind off of an elk onto his shoulder and walked it out like i already know i already know he did that already you know what i mean yeah so yeah it's pretty cool and like getting together with you and listening to your stories and some of the ways you hunt like these are the reasons why i like podcasting you know yeah just like talking to anybody yeah it gives you uh i mean for me personally doing a lot of hunting in manitoba i don't really get to see a lot of other the other like cultures and the well the culture of hunting in other areas you know what i mean and it doesn't you get to have these conversations with other people and you, you really get to see and hear about you know just how things are done differently and then some of the, some of that stuff you can apply to your own put that in your own kit right but yeah. uh man just connecting over hunting stories like we always say has, has been like something that you know the people have been doing it for since people have been around you know telling hunting stories pretty much so it's it's pretty sweet that uh that we can get to do it over yeah, over this now especially because like covid really pushed us to to go to the we we tried at the start to have every conversation in person and uh covid was kind of a good thing because now we you know adopted the the zoom platform opened up our guest library and now here we are chatting with you in missouri and we're Sheldon's in northern Manitoba right now and I'm in southern Manitoba and we're still able to you know have this conversation without a hiccup which is awesome yeah Yeah, that's really sweet and man I want to I mean we're we're sitting around an hour and a half now um if you're like me we could probably talk for another hour and a half um (laughs) and you gotta go catch some frogs yeah I know right I gotta (laughs) well I gotta convince the wife first um (laughs) now the I want to thank you guys for hopping on, for reaching out. And, dude, I, I love this, man. I love connecting with other people. Like, we would have never met each other or, or heard each other's story. Or, you know, now you guys are going to be getting pictures of dead frogs and stuff from me. So uh, Yeah, nice. Uh, Send away, man. <laughs> I, I love that the platforms allowed us both to do this and connect with other people. So, for real, yeah. though, if you guys are ever down in the States, if you're looking for a season or a certain type of hunt that you want to get on, let me know and any way I can help, I will. Same way, same thing back your way, dude. And uh, I think, you know, we should definitely link up again on the mics, maybe like after hunting season or something and do like a recap and, and get some stories going again. Yeah, we'll yeah. see if your uh, fear of mice has subsided yet. And, uh, <laughs> Don't hold that over me. <laughs> I, I like it, I, man. I, yeah. I'm afraid of... The predator of the mouse and you're afraid of the prey of the snake so there i mean go. i don't think one's any greater than the other <laughs> exactly yeah this um this is kind of like what we do actually in our in our ending of our podcast kind of call it the round table final thoughts but i i'll just i just want to kind of end off where my final thought of the night i guess would be i'm kind of echoing what you guys are saying but i really really appreciate like-minded people and getting to to talk to them from wherever they're come from whatever their background is um and kind of like you said as long as you're doing it legally and ethically i mean we're always going to have something to talk about so thanks a lot for for doing this first of all and it's going to be kind of cool when we do throw it out there um 
that it's going to be going to your your listeners to our listeners and and hopefully we become you know maybe a little bit closer of a community although we're from different countries different parts of the world but it'd be cool to uh to connect again and and yeah like getting onto another podcast in the future i think is definitely something we should do and keep doing what you're doing dan because like i said i've followed you on tiktok on social media i listen to a few of your podcast episodes and stuff like that just keep doing what you're doing because uh, i think we need more people like you out there i appreciate that a lot man together man what uh so dan before we wrap this up for the people that are listening to the the panoramic podcast here why don't you just remind everybody your handle and uh where to find you yeah so you can find um the nomadic outdoorsman social media pages at the nomadic outdoorsman on all platforms um same with searching it for listening to the podcast um and then i've got a second podcast now called the western rookie um the western rookie on all platforms thankfully both names hadn't been taken on anything so i didn't have to throw any weird (laughs) symbols in there um but yeah i'd appreciate you coming we make a lot of silly hunting content for especially for married people uh, if you're if you have a significant other and you're a hunter, you'll probably relate to a lot of this stuff. Dude, um, dude, that your your content gets shared almost daily to uh, some of our group chats. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's it's good, man. I don't I don't ever want to be labeled as a TikToker, but uh, I have had fun with it. I've got to say, I didn't think I would, and it's been it's been enjoyable. Uh, what about you guys? For our listeners, um, where can where can they go and find you guys? Same thing, man. Panoramic outdoors across the board. Just search it, and then uh, yeah, any anywhere where you find your podcast, you'll find the Panoramic Outdoors podcast as well. Yeah, and same same thing too. We also produce a second podcast called uh, Unbound Collective, but it's hosted by April Willis. So if anybody's, it's a it's basically uh, Chase. Help me. I'm kind of losing words here, but basically focused on women and women in the outdoors. So she hosts it and she has uh, women guests and we're thinking, you know, it's just uh, another platform to, if you want to hear another outdoors podcast, there's another one for you. Yeah. She has a lot of great conversations on there. So check that one out for sure. That's awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be in touch. Good luck this season. And hopefully we can do some season follow-up episodes and, and hear all about it. Likewise, man. Well, that was another, I say this every time, another great episode, but like this one was actually different and I was very excited to get Matt, or not Matt, Dan Matthews on. Uh, <laughs> man, my brain is so messed up right now. And so yeah, it was cool to get Dan Matthews on because it was like, he was, he's going to be doing like basically launching this exact same episode to his, uh, his listeners. So it's, it's almost like one of those, like, uh, what would you call it? Um, Chase, help me out. Here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, trans, like when you like transport. Transport? Oh, man, I don't know. When you're... I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. It's a collaboration. Yeah. It's a collaboration. Yeah, it was a collaboration. That's what I think I'm looking for. But anyways, yeah, so you've been doing lots of fishing. I got a couple of stories to tell you to end this podcast. Um, the first one is because you have kids, so I think you're going to appreciate this one. Um, my uh, My nephew, Henry... Mm-hmm. he's never been to like a fair before right so we go to nickel days nickel days up in thompson is a huge thing like it's big right like so you got the communities from like nelson house and cross lake and norway house and split lake and all these communities coming to thompson to 
go to nickel days, go ride the rides and see the fair. And they have this big ball tournament, etc. So it's just, it's pretty chaotic, I guess is the best word to describe nickel days because there's just hundreds of people everywhere. So we're at the fair and there's like this big Ferris wheel and it went up super high. And I was like, Henry, do you want to go on the Ferris wheel? And he's like, Oh yeah, 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 for sure. So, (laughs) (laughs) so anyways, we, we get on the, we stand in line forever finally get on this ferris wheel and we get up to the top and he was kind of like looking down and you could tell he's like kind of nervous but he was like pretty cool and i just so i just yelled as loud as i could i was like put my hands in the air like when we got to the very top and he like looked at me very concerned like i was losing my mind and then he realized like i was like cheering like having fun and he started laughing so hard i thought he was gonna piss himself and he was like (laughs) He was like punching my knee laughing, you know, like it was so <laughs> priceless. And then all of a sudden we, we start coming down and we start getting back up and all of a sudden he puts his uh, hands in the air and he's just like, Woo! he's just <laughs> screaming. And I was just like, oh man, this kid's pretty cool. Having a good but, time. Uh, oh yeah, man. I laughed so hard. It was awesome. But uh, yeah, I was going to ask you if you ever went to a fair, like do you have any rides that you can remember as a kid or any rides that you're scared of you won't go on? I I used to like going on the zipper, but I'm I'm so tall that my knees is very uncomfortable for me to ride. And then uh, rides that I don't like are like the ones that make you super dizzy. So like, uh, you know that one that used to sit in and it it was like a seat and there's like a cable that came down to attach you to it and you spun around really fast. Oh, like the swings? Yeah. Is that what it's called? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not down for stuff like that. But like, you remember that one? The one they called it Nickel Days was called, I think it was called Graviton. But it was like, it looked like a UFO. And when you go inside and you stand against the wall. Yeah. And then it starts ripping. And then you're like, your thing that you're in, like slides up to the top. Yeah. You're like on a, on a slidey table or whatever. Yeah. Table with wheels. That one. Fuck that. <laughs> I've been on that before. And you know what the the thing that scares me about those ones is like if somebody barfs, all yeah. that stuff's coming down the pipe on <laughs> to the no next kidding. person over. No kidding, hey. Yeah. What about carnival food? <laughs> oh man. Um so I never used to be into mini donuts, but I'm into mini donuts now. Oh yeah. Um I'm into uh, like pizza, the lemonade, like the fresh made lemonades. And uh, I don't know what else. Depends on the carnival. Like if they have like a, um, Mexican tacos or something, that's always good. Yeah. What about you? Um, so I want to bounce back to when we went to All Train Bear Hunts fishing there. I remember that night we were having a drink or whatever after supper. And I can't remember how it happened. But then Josh just got up and started making dessert. Churros churros do you not think that mini donuts are almost like a churro like it's pretty close like it's really soft like that it's pretty much like uh yeah donuts are are almost the same as pretty much same as churros a little bit different it's just like a mexican donut right 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 oh speaking of mexican food i'll I'll tell you what my carnival food is in a second but i i do gotta let you know about this uh the supper i made for my sister and her husband uh they've been they've been keeping me here so i gotta been hanging out in their spare bedroom when i'm not working <laughs> so so one night I, I texted them i was like hey do you guys want like 
to have steak for supper and they're like oh yeah for sure so i went and bought everything like got like all the fixings right like steak shrimp mushrooms onions um corn on the cob asparagus um garlic bread and i end up making street corn for them nice which they've never had before so uh, i know my sister liked it i don't know if simon liked it as much but um yeah my sister said she liked it and i don't know i there's a few things i would have done differently but overall it was turned out pretty good i was actually thinking about the old street corn the other day and i was like you know what if we have like a barbecue that i'm going to this summer that's what i'm going to do is street corn yeah yeah we should actually get one of us to when we find a second to put street corn up on the old website because i think a lot of people are probably like what the hell is street corn yeah put that under the recipe section yeah um for carnival food though i had tried this new one so nickel days fair isn't like red river x or something like it's like small town fair kind of thing right mm-hmm. i think actually the fair's from selkirk anyways um so i had an elephant ear which i've never had before which mm. is basically a thing of dough and it has like powdered sugar and you could get put jam on it or whatever no oh, yeah that's like deep fried and uh so i had that I had a sliced pizza and yeah it was pretty pretty lame but yeah like carnival food probably my favorite the same thing that like homemade lemonade um or there's like the odd time what did you i can't i don't know if you said this but like mexi fries it's kind of like poutine but it has like salsa and sour cream instead of nice gravy yeah. yeah yeah oh it's so good man yeah that's good stuff yeah anyways i don't think we need to talk about too much more stuff unless you have anything else to talk about that's it that's all my friend i think uh one last plug for swellfish if you're interested in checking out their stuff swellfish.co dot co co not com yeah that's right okay everyone remember that um thanks again to everyone that's listened to our podcast everyone that's on instagram and facebook um one more quick note is on instagram we are doing uh giveaways every week in july so all you got to do is tag us in your fishing um hunting outdoor pictures even gardening doing anything outdoors hiking anything tag us in those pictures and we're going to give a giveaway um every week probably like saturday or sunday we'll announce it but so participate in that thank you for following us thanks for listening um and if you are listening don't forget to subscribe and rate us and leave a comment it goes a long way right on catch you guys later